Well, this is this is the Human Pulse again, but we are dealing now with episode two of the. We're gonna end up having a series, guys, about the scar T and secondary malignancies. I mean, before you know it, we'll be on the TV with like a syndicated show and you know, like a short uh, documentary in Netflix. Let's not don't don't get me carried away right away. But um, I I have the honor of having uh, Dr. Sorab Dahia and uh, Dr. Jay Spiegel with me on uh, the Hemon Pulse. They both appeared on the first episode of what we are trying to make sure cover and uncover of CAR T and secondary malignancies. So before I make a quick intro, I urge you guys who are listening and viewing this to really go back and take a and listen and view the first episode that we taped just a few weeks ago. And after we taped it, we connected the three of us and we realized there's some new things that have actually developed. And as we always keep our fingers on the pulse and on the hemat pulse, we jumped on on the call to tape this episode. We even uh, sort of, we had to wake up Jay a little bit because he's on the <laughs> East Coast and we're taping this for context, everyone. This is February 7, 2024, and it is 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is how committed these two amazing investigators are to the science. So Jay, we'll start by you in terms of just a quick intro, and um, and then we move on to the West Coast with Saurabh. Sure. Uh, so I'm Jay Spiegel. I'm a transplanter and cell therapist at the University of Miami. Um, I, it is, in fact, 9 p.m. My kids are still awake, so hopefully <laughs> they will not interrupt. But... Um, I primarily focus on CAR in uh, um, aggressive lymphomas, but also in multiple myeloma uh, and B-cell lymphoblastic leukemia. And Jay, I could tell you as a host, I would want your kids to interrupt because this will get us more clicks and more views. So you'll have, when you're in my shoes, you want the kids to interrupt. <laughs> well, Sora. I, I, I can hear them, so I hope you guys can. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Sora, what about you? Yeah, my kids are not going to interrupt their home. I'm just wrapping <laughs> up my clinic, and uh, it's 6 o'clock here on the West Coast. Uh, so nice to be on this call again uh, and, and, and this podcast again. Uh, Shadi, thank you for having us. Uh, as a way of introduction, uh, my name is Saurabh Dahia. Uh, I'm a hematologist, medical oncologist, and cell therapy physician here at Stanford University. I'm an associate professor of medicine, and I serve as the clinical director of Cancer Cell Therapy Program. My clinical focus is primarily lymphoma, uh, but I but, but I'm involved in all things cell therapy uh, here at Stanford. Nice to be on this call. You guys both were with me literally just a few weeks ago, um, and we sat down and we talked on the Hemonk Pulse about some emerging data on CAR T cellular therapy and secondary malignancies. And we are on this call because there have been some recent developments that we must cover. But before we delve into these, Saurabh, do you want to put things in context in terms of like summarize a little bit into what we talked about? And then I'm going to ask Jay to say like what happened that we are having this podcast again. Yeah, I can summarize what we talked earlier about. <clears throat> and um, so so uh, uh, in November of 2023, uh, right around Thanksgiving, FDA issued a warning and opened an investigation on uh, this new observation of secondary malignancies after CAR T-cell therapy. The main concern was development of T-cell lymphoma after receipt of CAR T-cell therapy. 
They reported at that time 19 cases of T-cell lymphoma after CAR T-cell therapy. Um, they did say at that time there some of those cases are CAR positive, which means that the transgene for the CAR was detected in the T-cell lymphoma itself, uh, in the T-cell lymphoma itself. Uh, since then, we have learned in the context of T-cell lymphoma that there have been a total of 22 uh, cases. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was commentary in New England Journal of Medicine by the, uh, by, by, by the director of uh, Center for Biologics, uh, uh, Dr. Peter Marks, where they updated that number from 19 to 22 cases. Uh, and they talk about three cases of those T-cell lymphoma being CAR-positive lymphoma. Uh, so that so there's no question if they are CAR-positive lymphoma, they are from CAR. I mean, there's just like it's 100% from the CAR-T therapy, these three cases. So we don't know the details on those three cases yet. Uh, we know about one of the cases, which was, as we previously talked about, was the ASH online only uh, uh, presentation. We don't know much details, but it's, yes, CAR gene was seen in those patients, but it is unclear whether uh, CAR was directly implicated there or not, because there's in that analysis, they showed that CAR inserted at a very distant locus oh, from yes. the mutation that was seen in the in the two in the in the T cells uh, T cell lymphoma itself, uh, but I mean yes we can't deny the fact that there are three cases which are CAR positive and has always been a concern uh, in the field that um, if CAR insertion itself would lead to what we call as insertional mutagenesis in cancer. So we saw three of those cases. Uh, we don't know the details fully just yet. And, and Jay, we talked in the last podcast that this is important for people to know. And I recall you both, you guys telling me that there's really nothing in there that will change your clinical practice. You would probably talk a little bit about it, but you haven't seen anything aside from counseling patients and keeping your fingers on the pulse, uh, knowing really what's going on. Um, we taped this podcast um, uh, sometime in January, we are now February. What has happened since then, Jay, that prompted us to get back on this podcast to update viewers and listeners? What, what, what have you learned? Yeah, so I would uh, agree with Sarab. I mean, that particular um, paper in the New England from the FDA came out the week that we taped. Um, so I think that gave very important context previously. Uh, the FDA press release had said that there were 19 cases that had been reported through the FAERS mechanism. So um, anybody can report through that mechanism. It was not really clear that there had actually been genomic testing in any of the cases. So I think it was important uh, that the FDA in that uh, New England article said that they had evaluated 14 cases. So they haven't been able to get information on all of them. But uh, like Sarah mentioned, they had been able to find uh, CAR transgene in three, and certainly that's suspicious uh, for whether the CAR is going to be implicated in causing that lymphoma. But then as a result of that, they also um, that same week came out with a, a requirement to add a black box warning to all of the approved commercial CAR Ts uh, for the risk of T cell malignancies after uh, commercial CAR T therapy. So I think that's a very important change to the label. Um, whether or not that's going to change uh, the way that we approach uh, the treatment of these patients, I think is, is 
still similar to what Sarva and I discussed initially, but that is definitely an important change uh, that we have to note that it's now been added to the label. Saurabh, the, the black box warning um, has nothing to do with the type of disease that we are treating. Is it, it just, it doesn't matter. It's, if a CAR T is commercially available, there's a black box warning. Yeah, this so far, uh, uh, there's six FDA approved uh, therapies for uh, in, in hematologic malignancies, none in solid just yet, uh, and uh, two for multiple myeloma and four for lymphoma. And across the board, across all these six histologies, there have been cases of T-cell lymphoma. So yes, I mean, at, uh, at this particular time, all of those uh, U.S. labels have that warning on them. So what what's uh, Jay? What's your read? Like, what's the black box? I'm gonna try to see what's the black black box running in terms of language. Your recollection? Uh, what what did they actually say? Just descriptive or warning? What is it? Yeah, it's more it's more descriptive, and I think it's it's twofold. You know, the FDA said um, that they want to bring awareness to this. Part of the initial approval of these therapies was that there has to be 15-year follow-up for these patients, and I think part of this uh, was to uh, reinforce that we need longer-term follow-up for these patients. We need to continue to follow, um, and I think that it was also to try and encourage reporting. So I think we had we had talked about that you know not all T cell malignancies are created equal, so. I think the the positivity of the CAR transgene, I think that's certainly a problem that we can associate with the CAR, but we mentioned that patients with T-cell malignancies, for example, can develop T-cell malignancies even without CAR, uh, and whether or not that's going to be increased in the context of somebody that has previously received the CAR still remains to be seen. However, the FDA did voice some concerns about whether there had been some underreporting, and so part of their perspective piece was to try and encourage people to come forward, people to look, just to see that we're getting an accurate sense of really the, the problem, you know, as it exists. Is it really just, um, you know, three cases, like we mentioned, that have car positivity, and therefore, you know, when to put it in the context of having 34,000 infused, that remains a relatively uh, low risk when you're talking about patients with relapse, refractory, aggressive malignancy. Um, or is there something that is perhaps a little bit of a larger problem that we need to recognize? And I think that's part of why the FDA is coming out so strongly thinking about this. Sora, when I when I look at the, um, uh, there are like, you know, six letters, like you guys mentioned uh, on the FDA um, about safety warnings and all of these letters came out on January 19. Um, so like a week after we taped the first podcast, and an example of a letter, for example, that uh, an example of a letter was sent to the manufacturer of Escarta. They talked about box warning highlight section in the PI about the T cell malignancies, box warning, full prescribing information, all of these things. And then they say, you know, patient counseling is very important. And and then in accordance with the section 50504, within 30 calendar days of the date of this letter, which was January 19, you must submit a supplement proposing changes to the approved labeling in accordance with the above direction or notify the FDA that you do not believe a labeling changes is warranted and all of these uh, things. 
Do we have any reaction? Are we aware of any reaction from manufacturers when this actually, it hasn't been 30 days yet, but do we know any reaction at all? Uh, I'm not aware of uh, the manufacturer perspective on this, uh, Shadi, but I, uh, uh, so secondary cancers have always been on the label uh, for all the six FDA approved cars, uh, but there have been label changes. There will be label changes to reflect uh, this T cell development soon, uh, uh, but I'm not. I don't have direct knowledge into what the, uh, the specific manufacturers are thinking. One thing I think to highlight also would be I think we are talking a lot about T cell lymphoma, which is clearly a uh, big discussion uh, topic. Uh, the second also also uh, this issue of second primary malignancy or or other type of neoplasms like myeloid neoplasms, secondary myeloid neoplasms. Uh, is also uh, an emerging uh, issue, uh, particularly with some of the myeloma cars like Siltacel or Carvicti. Uh, that particular product had a uh, label change, which does talk about uh, development of hematologic malignancies, including T-cell lymphoma and myeloid malignancies. So if I have to zoom out a little bit for just one quick sec uh, minute, uh, when we think about second primary malignancies after CAR T-cell therapy, there are three broad, broad buckets that we need to think about those malignancies. Number one is uh, these T-cell lymphoma. And in T-cell lymphoma, it could be CAR positive, CAR negative lymphoma, uh, T-cell lymphoma. CAR negative, very rare event. CAR, uh, CAR positive, very rare event. CAR negative is a very rare event too, uh, 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 but less of a concern. Uh, overall, as I said, 19 patients, 22 patients have been reported out of 35,000 CAR T infusions in the U.S. Second big bucket of sec uh, uh, second primary malignancy is uh, myeloid neoplasms, which are therapy-related myeloid neoplasms, and the incidence of those have varied based on uh, different data sets that have been used. CABMTR data have been looked at. Us at U.S. CAR T lymphoma consortium, we have looked at that too, and it's it ranges anywhere from five to seven percent um, after a variety of CAR T after a variety of CAR T cell therapy. And the third bucket is solid tumors, uh, and etiology, pathobiology of generation of all these three uh, big uh, secondary primary malignancies is very different. Uh, so. Uh, uh, on the on the label right now, what we think it's going to happen is is this devil is this label change to reflect T cell malignancy uh, change, and then also second uh, primary malignancy, which is subsequent malignant new, myeloid neoplasm, is also going to go on the label for some of the product, like has it also it has already happened for Carvic T. This is great. I love those three buckets. I also love, I learned from you that we've treated 35,000 CAR T infusions. I did not know the actual number. This is very helpful for listeners to know the, the importance of actually following what happens in the real world outside of clinical trials. Um, so this is very important and thanks for clarifying this. Jay, my, my, my issue is that there's a lot of interest. Uh, I don't wanna say hype, but there's a lot of interest in moving CAR T frontline. There are times when, you know, when we were first treated patients with CAR-T, they really had no other choice. And frankly, you are going to take your risk because the other choice was hospice. But that's no longer the case. 
So there's interest in, you know, in relapse disease versus transplant in DLBCL. There's interest in, even some folks are saying, could we actually move it into consolidation in certain scenarios and in clinical trials per se. How do you envision these attempts, even in a clinical trial setting, to be impacted by these findings or by these warnings? Yeah, so I think there are a couple of things there. One, as far as the second line studies, uh, to a large extent, there have already been several large studies completed in the second line in large cell lymphoma. There have been three uh, large uh, studies comparing CAR T uh, to standard of care chemoimmunotherapy plus auto transplant for responding patients. Uh, and two of those, uh, one for AxiCell and one for Lysacell, were positive, leading to approval in the second line. And I would say in lymphoma, what we've seen in the past year is a migration of many patients um, being treated in the second line rather than the third line. That's certainly what I've seen in my practice. You know, those types of studies, I think, are ideal for looking for the incidence of these malignancies because you had patients treated with standard of care approaches uh, as a comparator arm. So you can look for secondary malignancy uh, incidence as well. I, I decided I wanted to write this down so I could give you the exact numbers. Um, but in Zuma 7, which is the AxiCell study, they reported eight out of 170 patients developing secondary malignancies in the CAR-T arm. Uh, after a median four years of follow-up, two of which were MDS and AML. There were three cancers in the standard of care arm. Um, and at Zuma 7, I did not find anything reported from the Lysosel study as yet. It's a little bit of a smaller trial. So that's 4%, 8 of 107, that's 4%. Mm -hmm. 107. And so that's at four years of follow-up. So just to put that in a frame of reference from the data that we looked at for standard of care access cell patients as part of the a consortium that Sarb was mentioning, we had 9% secondary primary malignancies, 5% uh, of the total um, yeah. patients treated developed a secondary uh, myeloneoplasm. So a little bit higher, though obviously not really easily comparable. I think there's certainly some suggestion that perhaps if we treated patients earlier, if they weren't exposed uh, to things like uh, platinums in the second line for large cell lymphoma, for example, that maybe the development of secondary malignancies, particularly TNNs, might go down. So I think mm -hmm. that following up that real-world data in the second line now, but also following these trials up further will be really important. And just as a frame of reference in the multiple myeloma space, CARTITUDE 4, which is still to sell um, for patients who'd received one to three prior lines of therapy randomized against, uh, investigator choice, they're also reporting a lower incidence of MDS AML. So far, they had two patients with MDS AML in the CAR, in the CAR T arm. 4.3% of the total CAR T arm has developed a secondary malignancy, follow-up a little bit less. Um, but there were actually more uh, secondary cancers in the standard of care arm. So I think in the second line, I, I don't really foresee um, the same concern because I think we've already completed the trials that will allow right. us to right. get a sense of what uh, the incidence is. And in particularly in lymphoma, uh, you know, we already have many patients treated in a commercial setting and we'll be able to get some numbers on that hopefully in the next year or so. And Sarab and I are, are trying to put some of that together. Moving even earlier, I think in the context of clinical trial, because you know, the, the rate of T-cell malignancy is so low, I don't really think that changes the calculus if it's a trial uh, 
um, that has good justification. For example, um, Zuma 23 is looking at high-risk patients in the front line and randomizing to ongoing chemotherapy versus um, AxiCell. And that trial is already open and ongoing. And uh, I have not heard, I'm not a, an investigator on the study, but I've not heard if there are any amendments. In what in what, uh, what subset? What lymphoma? In diffuse RGB cell lymphoma with IPI 4 or 5. So very high-risk patients. So um, it's basically chemotherapy versus chemotherapy followed by CAR-T? So it's, you can get one cycle of chemo, um, and then you would enroll and be randomized. And so then you would collect for CAR-T get a second cycle uh, basically is bridging while you're making the car and then get car versus six cycles of RCHOP or our epoch. Got it. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I think uh, you're dealing with a curable disease and, um, uh, you know, the, the, the rate is so small, but it's, it, it makes you, it makes you worry a little bit with the boxed warning, black box warning. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, to my mind, the, the, the you know, MDS AML, uh, I think is probably a more relevant problem as far as how I think about these. Uh, you could, like I, I mentioned previously, you could perhaps justify that treating patients earlier with less exposure to prior therapy might uh, result in a lower rate of secondary myeloid malignancies. But then, you know, the unanswered question is whether the immunosuppression post-CAR-T may uh, render patients susceptible to these types of cancers, which obviously moving mm -hmm. forward into an earlier line, you wouldn't really negate that. So I think that is part of the question. I think, um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that, that impacts these trials, but uh, I haven't heard of any changes so far. And I look forward to learning about your work, both hopefully you can share with us when it's available on this podcast, when it's uh, mature. Um, Saurabh, did you expect to see a black box warning? Um, I, I'm so intrigued actually now to go back and look at what makes it to a black box warning versus not. Um, I haven't had a chance to look at this, but was this something that surprised you, I guess, uh, when you saw this, or it was something that you thought... Uh, it's justified and reasonable. Yeah, um, I, I I would I would acknowledge that. I also should dig deep into what is the threshold to get on a black box warning. Uh, I mean, we all are very familiar with our uh, when we give chemotherapies. Uh, we, we, there's a general risk of like more than ten percent of the patient would get a certain toxicity. One to ten would get a certain toxicity, uh, and we don't directly attribute it always. Uh, to the to the drug itself, but it's a combination of drug and the disease. So I, I, I think uh, I, I'm not surprised that it ended up uh, on the on the on the label. Uh, but I think that doesn't uh, it doesn't prove causation. I think as a field, we still need to understand why these secondary uh, malignancies are happening. Uh, these secondary myeloid neoplasms are happening. Uh, is it the effect of prior uh, genotoxic DNA damaging chemotherapy that patient received? Uh, is it the inflammation that is caused by the CAR T cell earlier on? Uh, are there uh, clonal hematopoiesis that is already going on when the patient get CAR T cell therapy? CAR -T -cell therapy? So I think we need to understand a lot more about it before we can conclusively say that there is there is association. 
uh, of 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 CAR D with uh, the, the, this causation. Not this is just not an association, but rather causation uh, before this equation is changed. Uh, the T cell malignancy part is somewhat surprising to me. I mean, I'll 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 I'll, I'll state that on record uh, that I think the T cell part going on label is surprising, and the reason I say that is because. Uh, as I mentioned, there have been 22 cases reported in the entire uh, FDA system and other systems and other data streams that are there to the US FDA. Out of 35,000 patients uh, that have been that have received CAR T cell therapy, uh, we know that there's a general baseline rate of people developing T cell lymphoma. There is strong data to show that uh, T cell lymphomas. Uh, occur more than uh, a patient who have non-Hodgkin lymphoma is five times, there's a five-fold higher risk of patient developing a T-cell lymphoma after a previous B-cell lymphoma diagnosis. Uh, we, uh, we, we know that there is a co-diagnosis of B and T-cell lymphoma that can happen, and you treat the B-cell lymphoma, and you have emergence of T-cell lymphoma. For example, that was a case in Nature Medicine publication that recently was uh, uh, published in uh, by UPenn Group and our group has a late-breaking abstract at ASTCT, where we talk about that particular phenomena as well. Uh, so uh, it was somewhat surprising that T-cell part went on the label uh, without further uh, investigation uh, about truly if it's uh, truly, truly related or not. So that yeah. was surprising. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll just tell you what I what I'm reading here, and then we'll conclude with the final thoughts from both of you. But basically, it does say the FDA applies box warnings to drugs that carry risks of severe adverse reactions that may lead to death or serious injury, and they can apply box warning to a drug at any time, including after approving it uh, for use in the past. And there's a lot out there in terms of what constitute this? And apparently there are about 400 medications out there that have some black box warning. Um, you know, so, so I mean, good points. Uh, I think it's important to share with listeners and viewers, but I guess I'd like just final thoughts from you as, you know, um, you both are in this space. I'm assuming you're really monitoring closely and you're, you're, you're doing your own research on it. Anything else we should tell listeners about this? Uh, Jay, I'll start with you. Um, anything we should have discussed that maybe I just completely overlooked? Well, I think um, it's actually quite interesting. I, I was consenting a patient this week, and for the first time they asked me, you know, we heard on TV that uh, you can get secondary cancers. Um, and it was. I think that's really the most important thing that I'm taking away from it right now is really counseling patients on it. It's certainly always part of my uh, auto transplant talk as far as kind of the incidence of, of secondary AML and MDS uh, after doing auto transplants for lymphoma or myeloma. And now I think it's going to become just a much more, uh, you know, integrated part of my uh, consent for patients undergoing CAR-T. I, I mentioned the T-cell uh, malignancy part, but I, I spend actually most of my time when talking about secondary malignancies, talking about the secondary MDS and AML. As far as changes that I might um, bring into my practice, I am thinking about whether, you know, bone marrow biopsies to look for things like CHIP, look for things like underlying dysplasia might be uh, something that I integrate a little bit better into my practice. I think from a research perspective, 
uh, that remains something that I think would be very important if we want to get an understanding of how the bone marrow is going to change pre and post CAR T. Um, but I think clinically, it's also something that we should start considering. Um, but I think overall, uh, in the patient population that I'm seeing, uh, I don't think uh, that these warnings uh, change whether I'm going to offer CAR T to someone, but I'm definitely going to have an informed consent discussion that discusses these risks as well. Jay, thank you. That's very thoughtful. And, and it's really important to put this into perspective. Um, it is going to be in every informed consent, justifiably so, but it's it's about how you perceive the information. I'm still intrigued by the number that sort of said 35,000. I, I don't know if everybody who's listening knows how many patients have received CAR-T or all of this. So that's really very helpful. Sorab, any final thoughts from you? Um, anything else you'd like to share? No, I think, uh, Shadi, you covered a lot of important between these two uh, podcasts. I think we got a lot of ground covered and Jay elegantly sub summarized uh, uh, our thoughts. I think just final thoughts would be, I, uh, I think would be uh, the overall benefit-risk ratio of administering CAR-T in the approved settings we are in right now uh, still remains uh, unequivocally uh, uh, in, 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 in favor of and in administering CAR-T cell therapy. These patients are in need. Uh, in chemorefractory second-line large B-cell lymphoma, we know there's survival benefit in randomized studies, uh, which is the gold standard that we all believe in. So I think it's quite powerful that uh, those survival benefits uh, uh, benefit data exist uh, uh, in, in our field. Uh, uh, just a, I mean, for future research direction standpoint, I think I echo um, what, what Jay said, that I think we probably need to understand more about clonal hematopoiesis in these patients. Uh, we need to understand more about uh, uh, inflammation and role of inflammation after patients get CAR T cell therapy and how it changes uh, uh uh, clonal hematopoiesis afterwards. Uh, it's something, an important topic. Uh, and lastly, I think a very broad philosophical point would be that I think CAR-T has been under the lens. I mean, nobody's studying CAR-T like, like, I mean, I, I don't remember of any other therapy where the patients are being studied in 10 different directions uh, or with five different specialties in the hospital. Uh, <laughs> so it's under the lens. Uh, the more you look, the more you find. And that's the right approach. Uh, but again, I think we should zoom out as well and just think about would our treatments be of benefit to that particular patient that's in front of us right. or not? So, right. and I still feel that I think we are, we are, we are uh, CAR T overwhelmingly benefits the patients uh, uh, despite of these warnings. You hit the nail on the head. It's about benefit-risk ratio, right? I mean, nothing that we do in oncology or hematology, frankly, let's face it, there is no treatment that we give is entirely safe. I mean, none. There is no treatment that you guys prescribe that you can tell a patient will carry your risk. So it's really benefit versus risk. Well, um, thank you so much, Dr. Saurabh Daya on the West Coast and Dr. Jay Spiegel, half asleep on the East Coast. Thank you so much for coming on the Hemonk Pulse. I would love to have you again as this story evolves. Since we, you broke it on the Hemonk Pulse, I get the exclusive right on the Hemonk Pulse that you come back on this show. Sounds good, Shani. Thank you.